Okay, good morning. How's everybody today? Good morning, Miha. Aw, that was sweet. Yeah. I open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be going through uh, just the last, uh, just a few verses today. Today is Father's Day. And uh, just a couple of things I wanted to announce and mention is that the reason God gave us the Ten Commandments, uh, because, well, first of all, they weren't suggestions. These are commands that God wants us to, to have and to and to be able to live out our lives. We've been talking about the law these last few months, how the law applies to our life. The moral law has always been there. We, we uh, uh, follow God's law. God gave us the law to show us that we cannot uh, live life without God Himself, without His Holy Spirit. We have, we have people, there are people that are trying to appease God by following the law to the letter. And uh, they believe that they can reach salvation by being uh, and being saved and by following the law, the uh, the interesting thing is, is that the law is still there, yet we live under the spirit or under the control of the spirit. And that's what we're going to be talking about today: to walk by the spirit, to live by the spirit, to to be able to uh, depend upon the spirit. This is not just a, okay, so I don't need the law anymore. That it's I don't need to hear or read the law, but yes, we do. And one of the things that the the law commands us to do is to honor our fathers, and our mothers. Now, that, that seems to be pretty straightforward. We are to honor our dads and our, and our moms. And uh, the unfortunate thing is that for some, um, as we heard just right now, for some of us, it's, it's difficult to honor a father that wasn't honorable. It's difficult to honor somebody that you really can't look up to. And uh, like some of you probably had role models, and some of them were good, and some of them were probably not. Uh, I, I never really had a really good role model until I was 30. That's when God became my father. But um, it's, it still doesn't negate the fact that you are to honor your father. You are to honor your mother. And God gave that commandment because he knew that there were not going to be any perfect fathers. And uh, no matter how elevated we can put our dads, we always find that chink in the armor. We always find those things that are, are not conducive to our lifestyle or to us or are not really just edifying the home or the person. And some are just very blatant, very obvious. Others, you know, are somewhat hypocritical and you just, it, other people can't see it, but kids can. And so the, the command to honor your father and your mother, of course, we talked about that last month in honoring moms and how the Bible honors moms. And uh, so this, this week, we're going to talk about dads, and, what we, and it all goes with the scriptures that we're talking about today. But we honor our fathers, and we honor them, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be honorable in order for us to honor them. But number one, we honor them because, well, they're the ones that brought us into this world. Without a father, uh, and I'm sure that if your dad didn't have any children, you wouldn't either. I know that for a fact. And so he, he brought us, uh, that, that's who God used. He used the DNA of man and the DNA of a woman, brought them together to create you. And so for, if no other reason, uh, we, we honor them for that. They brought us into this world. Another reason we should honor them is because they are, they are the, well, they should be, the reflection of authority for us, of who we look up to. And, and we look up to our fathers, and fathers need to be honorable for this specific reason, because the children are going to follow your example. 
Doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter what, how it is that you preach to them, no matter what you tell them to do, they're going to follow your example. Which leads us into our study today, to walk by the Spirit, so that you do not gratify or you do not uh, lust after the desires of the flesh, is what Paul is talking about. And so for, for us men, it's, it's a little difficult sometimes to hold that, that uh, level of commitment, that level of uh, who we're supposed to be, especially in a, in a world in which we live in today. And this is why Paul says this is something that you must do. And, and it's something that the Holy Spirit has to do through you. Just like salvation, uh, justification, just like being born again, just like being redeemed is a work of the Holy Spirit himself, so is sanctification. Justification comes from the Holy Spirit himself, and sanctification comes from the Holy Spirit himself as well. We cannot do no more sanctify, we cannot sanctify ourselves any more than save ourselves as well, because salvation is by grace and by grace alone. We cannot live the Christian life on our own resources. We need to depend upon the Holy Spirit and His resources to help us live this life. And as best as I can put it, the faithful Christian life is a life lived under the direction and by the power of the Spirit. And that's what Paul has been talking about all this time. you got to live by the Spirit. You cannot live by the law. The law was placed there to show us what it is that we need to do. And so the opening paragraph of, these, of this verse here in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16, and I'm going to go through verse 21 today, and then we're going to stop and we're going to continue the rest of it next week. But let me read that for you now. Verse 16. Verse 20, uh, up to verse 21, and he says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this portion of scripture. Very heavy at this point in time especially when we come to Father's Day. And Lord, we just pray that we can decipher for ourselves as you lead us, Holy Spirit, to see what it is that is going on in our life, that we take inventory today. And looking over this list, most of us can probably say, well, we don't do that. And we don't do this one either. And I pray, God, that you show us through your word on the intent of what Paul was trying to get across. And so, Father, this morning, I pray for your, your Holy Spirit to just illumine these words to us. Illumine what needs to change within my life. Illumine the sin that I so very dearly hold on to. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us to eradicate and to conquer the flesh on a daily basis. So thank you, Father, for all that you do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These contrasting spirits, number one, first of all, uh, Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. This is a command. Number one, I am commanded to walk by the Spirit. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Walk by the Spirit. Because no one can perfectly obey the whole law of God. God 
gave us the Holy Spirit to help us live the, law, the life that God has called us to live. The standard is there, and it was given by God to reveal His holy standards, to make, make us uh, despair of our own failings and our own human efforts at trying to please Him. And what we have been doing and what people try to do is to please God by following every single law that is in the books. And we tend to justify ourselves by saying, well, at least I don't do this or I don't do that. I see this list here and it doesn't apply to me, so I should be okay. But the driving force of God's love has always been to point us toward the, the, the law so that we can see that we need a Savior. That's why Jesus Christ came. He came to give His life and offer His life so that we can be saved by grace and be accepted by the Father. And so the law was never meant to be a savior, only a tutor to show us. We can't do this. We need a savior. And, and we need to understand and we need to be able to see that salvation is by grace alone. Now, the, the Spirit himself, he's the one that is in us and shows us and helps us to be able to, to live this life. To live on the set of laws and to live by the flesh are, are pretty much the same thing. Living by the law, living in the flesh. So we're going to talk about the flesh, the, the desires or the works or the, the function of the flesh within our life, and then the spirit as well. And, and to suppress, and to try to live by all those things, by the law and everything else, we, we tend to suppress the spirit within our life. He's not able to uh, work within our lives because, uh, as Paul said, you know, do not quench the spirit's fire. You cannot quench the spirit's fire in, in order for him to live through you because you cannot live by the spirit and by the flesh at the same time. Either you're living by the spirit or you're living by the flesh. And, and they, they bounce back and forth. And the one that we're feeding the most, the one that is being fed and the one that is being squashed is the one that's going to overcome and the other one is going to be dominated. But in verses, uh, verses eight and nine, uh, chapter 8, verse 9 of Romans, Paul said this, and this is in your outline, he says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And so when people operate without the Spirit, there are all these things that we just talked about. They're, they're just casual. It's, it's my everyday life. And I can attest to these types of things and, and more so even. This is not a, an all-inclusive list. There's more to it. But I, I, can, I can share with you many times on how, yes, I did these things and I didn't care. But as a believer, these things that we fall into, we do care. It causes this strain within us, this conflict that we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But all of us, every person that has committed their life to Christ, every person that has the Holy Spirit within them, he has the teacher and he has the ability to conquer the flesh. And even though the, the, the believer is brand new and even though he has the, uh, just, just the words of Christ within him, he's able to conquer any of these situations within his life. It's only pride or ignorance that can lead a believer to, to live outward, uh, outside of this list of rules and commands in, in their own limited power. And they're trying to make this Christian life work. All that does is bring a lot of tension and stress. And yet we are told, Paul says, to walk in the Spirit. To walk in, and, and, it's the, and it's used here in the present tense, indicating that Paul is speaking of us to continually, regularly walk in the flesh, or excuse me, in the spirit, to continually walk in the spirit, doing something that you need to be doing. Now, up to this point, you're probably thinking, okay, well, 
if I'm not supposed to follow the law and I'm supposed to let the Spirit lead me, but, I, you know, I just let the Spirit lead me, but why and not follow the law, do the things that the law says? Are you asking me just to sit down and sit back and say something to the effect of, well, just let go and let God and do nothing and let the Spirit work through me? Each one of us are responsible to walk in the Spirit. Each one of us are commanded to walk in the Spirit. Each one of us are to do, actively work at your salvation, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. When Paul talked about working out your salvation, he's not saying that you need to work for more salvation or work for that salvation, but you work out your salvation in the same way that a farmer works out the land. He, he plows it and he pulls out all the weeds and rocks and, and he sows the seed and he works the land not to get more land, but that the land itself could produce good fruit. It's like a bodybuilder that would work out his body, not to get more body or another body, but to produce a good fruit in his own body to be healthy. When you work out your salvation, you are working it out to produce a good fruit. And there are things that each one of us must do. And so it sounds like a paradox. It's an apparent paradox where the divine and the human kind of clash. It's that divine paradox in salvation as well, where, where God is the one that's choosing you, but you're still responsible for the, for the actions of your choice. It's that paradox that seems to be that the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, but yet he wrote the human or he used the human to, to write the words of God. So was it, was it this Holy Spirit or was it man? It's that apparent paradox that seems to be, well, it seems to be a paradox. But it's not to God. He says, you're saved. Let the Spirit work in you. Let Him work through you. But you have to do something as well. And, and sometimes we lose that human uh, divine tension. And we totally want to just place all our faith in, okay, the Holy Spirit, if you don't want me to drink, you will knock this beer can out of my hand. Or if you don't want me to say those things, then you would take that vocabulary out of my lips. Or if you, you know, and you have this fight, well, the Holy Spirit didn't work through me, so I guess he wants me to continue on in my sin. Does that resonate with any, or is that just me? Okay, well, I'm, okay, maybe I'm confessing too much, no. And sometimes we, we focus and we emphasize more on the Holy Spirit that he is supposed to do all the work, which he is, but he uses me in the process. There's that conflict that I was talking about. If, if human will and action do not play a direct and aggressive part of the Christian life in the New Testament, it would contain only one verse, and that would be walk by the Spirit. That's all you would have. You wouldn't have all these other commandments. You wouldn't have all the, the list of things that we need to... Uh, squash. You wouldn't have the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week. You won't have all of that. All you would have is walk by the Spirit. Yet, He has given us a manual and a book. He's given us this, this instruction book to be able to follow what Christ called us to do. And the power for Christian living is entirely from the Holy Spirit. What Paul is trying to get across here is that you need the Holy Spirit to be able to do these things. You need his power. You need his, uh, just like salvation is entirely upon Jesus Christ and Christ alone, then sanctification and this working within you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, last week I talked a little bit about what the Holy Spirit's responsibility is. And I shared with you the, the reason as to why we are a spirit-filled church. And the difference between a spirit-filled church 
that the Bible talks about and, and the difference between what other people call a spirit-filled church. And a spirit-filled church is basically living under the power of the Holy Spirit. I won't get into all the details today. If you'd like to hear that, that was last week. But the Christian is not to sit on the sidelines, as it were. He's not just to sit there and simply watch the Holy Spirit do the battles for him. We are called. We are called to consider the Holy Spirit's power and to be dead to sin, but alive in Christ, is what he says in Romans. Let, us, let, let not sin reign in our mortal bodies, he says, but persist in presenting the members of our body that we used to present as instruments of unrighteousness. Now, he says, in the same way that you used to work in that unrighteousness, take that body of yours in all those works and apply them with the Holy Spirit. The believer who is led by the Holy Spirit must be willing to go as the Holy Spirit leads you. There are some things that each one of us still hold on to. And there's some things uh, and some places and some other things that we, we don't do. Last week, uh, there was a young lady here. I didn't introduce her. I, I didn't realize she was here. I thought she was going to come back again uh, probably this following week. But her name is Danielle, uh, Danielle Ramirez. And uh, she's going to come back. from. She went on a mission trip to Kosovo, I believe. And uh, she, she's, she's been in Bakersfield going to college there. And her and her mom showed up here this last week and asked me to pray for her. And I says, you know, Mija, I thought you guys were leaving at the end of the month or next month or something. And, and she says, no, but, you know, if you can pray for me. She, they got here late. But anyways, we did. And there, there, as she grew up in this church, she grew, she grew up here in the kids' ministry and somewhat in the youth and moved and has been in and out at, of church. And she's been plugged in now. And, and there are things that sometimes we're not willing to take that step. And one of the things that I remember her saying is, you know, it's, it's just that, that taking that first initial step, it's scary at first before you end up. But once you step into it, you can see what God has in store for you. Once you step into what God has called you to do, you can see what God has for you to do. When the Israelites were given the land flowing with milk and honey, the, uh, Joshua had instructed the Levite priest to step into the Jordan River. At that point, the Jordan River was at flood stage. The water was just rushing. It was coming down in huge amounts of water. And the promised land was just on the other side. And what, what, uh, what Joshua had told them, and he says to them, step into the water and God will stop the flow from upstream. Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably say, okay, I know that God is going to probably open the waters. I know because he did that at the Red Sea. He did that back then. But, you know, can you ask him to stop the waters first and then I'll step in? But no, what Joshua says, no, you guys need to step in first. You need to step into what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. You need to step into what it is that he's already set aside for you to do, what he's empowered you to do, what he has gifted you to do. You need to step into what he is doing and he'll stop and he'll open it up and allow you to step through. You know, beloved, there, there, there's a whole lot of different examples that we can use as far as you as a father, as uh, the leader of your household and the things that God has called you to do. When, when you look at scripture, and you see what the Bible is teaching you on how to lead your home. Because right now we have all sorts of voices out there. There are a lot of voices out there talking to your children. And they have more influence over them right now than you do. And, and I pray that you can step into the role that God has called you to do as a father, to walk by the Spirit. And, and we, do that, we do so because, as he says, we do so because we don't want to fulfill the desires of the flesh. 
Now, Paul understood this tension. He knew there was that tension that we talked about, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, on how he says, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And he said, who can save this wretched man? And he says, thanks be to God. In Romans 13, 13, he says, let us properly, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. He says, we have to walk in the spirits. We'll go over that list here in just a bit. So, so we have this conflict. We have this, uh, this command, first of all, to walk by the spirit. Number two, I, I am in conflict with my flesh. I am in conflict with my flesh. In verses 17 and 18 of Galatians chapter 5, he says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Paul has already explained to the people in Rome on how these things work out in his own life. In, in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now this is Paul. This is Paul the Apostle. This is the man that wrote 13 books of the New Testament. This is Paul the disciple that planted churches. And he states out, I know nothing good dwells within me, my flesh. Now, he, he also knew, and, and he was, he's already stated, that he is living by the Spirit, but somehow there's this conflict constantly in his life. And he says, for I have the desire, I have the want to, I have this, this, this passion to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul understands your struggle. Now, I know I'm talking to men right now, but right now, all of us, we all struggle with our flesh. And so he says this in verses 21 through 23. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The flesh is Paul's way of working out his salvation. The flesh is what Paul says is the old man, as he talks about in 1 Corinthians. The flesh, the word sark is the word in Greek, is used to describe the actual physical body, bones, muscle, uh, tissue. But it's also uh, used to carefully describe the state of the unsaved person, the flesh, or the fleshly person. But it also, at this point right now, it is the, the, the one body, the old man, that is in constant conflict with our nature, with our spiritual nature. It's the spiritual man and the fleshly nature. And so we have these two constantly at war with one another. And flesh relates to the moral and the spiritual weakness that, and helplessness of human nature is what Paul is talking about here. The flesh is the part of the believer that functions apart from and against the spirit. As I said earlier, you cannot be both at the same time, either you're being led by the Spirit, you're, be, you're walking by the Spirit, you are filled, as he says in Ephesians 5.8, by the Spirit. Either you're filled by the Spirit, or you're walking in the flesh, or you're working the deeds of the flesh, or the works of the flesh. It's interesting what we're going to get here in just a little bit. The flesh, you have to work at it. It's something you have to cultivate. 
It's something that you have to actually work at. And that's why when we are in sin, it is tiring, it is oppressive, it, is, uh, it just wears you out. But when you submit to the Holy Spirit, He just walks you through it. And there is this, this joy that comes from that. And beloved, you know, as well as I do, that when we are in sin, it is painful, it hurts, it's guilty, it's, it's just this, 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 all these emotions and everything else that goes against us because of our spirit. Now, you know, and I pray that I'm, I'm speaking to all redeemed, whether here on Facebook land, as they call it, or, or here in this, uh, this auditorium here, that I am speaking to those that have been redeemed, that have committed their life to Christ. And if you've not yet committed your life to Christ, if you don't serve Jesus Christ, if you're not even filled with the Spirit, then this stuff, you're saying, well, I don't have any guilt. I don't feel tired. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Then it's because of the flesh overpowering and taking over everything that you do. However, when the Holy Spirit resides within you, you we tend to squash the Spirit when we work in the flesh. He says, believers... Uh, he says, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Believers do not always do what they wish to do. Amen? I mean, there's some things that, you know, there's, there's some things I just said yesterday. I really wish I wouldn't have said it. <laughs> there, you know, I, the flesh pops up. I thought I was being funny. You know, it happens all the time. You know, and, and Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks to God for Jesus Christ. And although the Christian life is a warfare, it is a warfare in which every genuine believer can win. You can. You can if you walk in the Spirit. This is why Paul is proclaiming this from the very beginning. This is what you need to do. And he says, I'm going to show you the difference. I'm going to walk you through this process. You know, and there's a third party. It's me and the Spirit and the flesh. And the Spirit is the one that has to take over. And he's the one that needs to overcome. And he, he repeats it again. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law is the living by the flesh. The law is trying to do things on your own. So, so there's that command that Paul gives us to walk by the Spirit. And then there's the conflict that is taking place within us all the time. And so then, therefore, on the back of your outlines, I must conquer the works of the flesh. I must conquer the works of the flesh. In order to conquer the works of the flesh, well, first of all, I need to know what they are. This is a pretty pretty long list of fleshly sins. And our desire is to live a godly life. And, and as motivated and as a motivation to godly living, Paul places the products of the, the flesh and of the spirit side by side. He puts them side by side so that you can see this is what it means to live by the flesh. And this is what it means to be controlled and live by the spirit, the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And just to, just to repeat it again in verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And so Paul is basically saying, you know these things. It's not like I have to explain to you what sin is, right? I mean, all I have to say is, you know, it's sin. And, and to some extent we say, okay, well, that's, that's understandable, I understand. And, and we have to realize that there are a lot of things that the Bible talks about that seem to be, uh, you know, pretty self-explanatory. But you have to remember, as uh, Devon had mentioned to us here a couple of weeks ago, that sometimes there are words that are used uh, in the English language that don't generally capture 
what the Greek had meant. Like, for instance, we say we have love. I love my brother. I love, my, uh, I love to play around. I love football. And I love my wife, which is the same word. But the Greeks had six, maybe even eight different words for love. And every one of them had a very different meaning. If I said eros, I had this romantic love for my wife. If I said phileo, that was the affectionate love, like Philadelphia, a city of brotherly love, or this brotherly love that I have for you. If I were to say agape, it's the unconditional love that God has for us that we are to have for other believers. It's unconditional. The, the love that you give a child, a grandbaby, they can't do anything for you. Yet, you, you just love them with this, you know, self-sacrificing. You would give your life for that child. And you, you love them without condition. There's that family love. You know, I love my mom. You know, and it, and it doesn't fit in all those, in, in, that, in, in those categories. It was storge. And they would have manlia, which is an obsessive love. Ludus, which was a playful love. And so when we see the words in English, a lot of times those words don't give the Greek meaning of it justice. And so what I wanted to do is kind of go over some of these words with you that are in this list. Because we can overlook these. Well, I don't do that. Orgies? <laughs> I, could, I, would, I wouldn't do that. You know, this dissension. Yeah, you know, okay, maybe I've done that a little bit. But I'd like for us to look at this list once again. The, the first group of sins relates to man's defilement. And, and I'm talking to men, but I'm also talking to all of us. Okay? And in some of your translations, specifically the King James Version, the very first uh, sin that Paul would point out is adultery. And it's omitted because it's not found in a lot of the, uh, the original texts. But uh, they do have a little footnote in your Bible that would say adultery would go, go there as well. But sexual immorality. Sexual immorality covers adultery or fornication is another word that some of your translations has. And it has been said that the one completely new virtue that Christians had brought into the world was sexual immorality. They, I mean, they, they, you know, they abstained from it. And because the culture that they were living in was just so immoral. And it was not only between men and women, men, women and women, men and men and, and children, and everything was involved. And sexual immorality, it, 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 we get the word pornia, pornia, we get the word uh, pornography from that term, which is a broad meaning referring to illicit sexual activity, especially but not limited to adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, all those things, pornography. Pornography right now is the fastest growing problem, and not only men anymore, but teenagers and women as well. But for men, it is stated that over 83% deal with sexual immorality. They, they, they struggle with it. 83% of men struggle with sexual immorality. That means that the other 17% are liars. We all mess with it. We all deal with it. Not mess with it. We don't practice it, but there's something going on within the male psyche that causes men to look at pictures and to be drawn to that. Where at one time it was something that they did a long time ago. It's something that you did in, in magazines or probably in, in movies you would go to. It was hidden. Now it's just open. And it's available just about anywhere. Not only is it on the internet, but it's in movies. Some of it is porn. Some of it is soft porn. And so there, there are studies that have been done through the Barnett Institute where they've said, you know, there used to be a time when men within the church, mind you, men within the church felt guilty at looking at porn. Over 43% no longer feel guilty of looking at porn within the church. This sexual immorality that happens when we look at or when we think or when we lust upon our hearts, as Jesus has said, upon a woman, you've already committed adultery. 
This sexual immorality that seems to be so prevalent within our culture and it's so, so uh, just accepted. Man, we have to guard against that. And some are saying, but I can't help it. You know, it's like it draws me. Walk by the Spirit. And if you cannot conquer that by walking by the Spirit, then there's something wrong in that connection. Now, I know many people feel guilty about the things that they do behind closed doors and, and the things that they say. But any one of these uh, things that I had mentioned about the adultery, the fornication, all these things, it's all part of the sexual immorality that Paul is talking about. And then he goes on to the next word, impurity. Impurity is akarseia. And akartharsia, that's what it is, akartharsia, because it comes from the word, we use the word catharsis. Catharsis is the cleaning of the wounds, but akartharsia is the defiling or the, the pus or the oozing or the, 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 uh, the, pruning, the unpruning of a tree or just letting things just go bad, is what Paul is saying. And this impurity can be used in so many different ways, but it was used in a sense where people felt so defiled and they would not defile themselves to approach their gods. And Paul says, some of you are, are, are actually participating in Akarthasia. Some of you guys are actually participating in this impurity within your lives, within your thought process. And he says, don't do that. Walk by the Spirit. This impurity that we walk with and we talk with and the, the words that we say, and maybe not even the words that we say, but the, the words that are within our hearts that we don't say using other words. This impurity that, that just blocks the fellowship between you and God and another person. It's a negative, it's a negative form of the word that we use for cleansing. It's an impurity. The third word that Paul uses is sensuality. Asalgia. Sensuality, some of your translations will say uncleanliness or wantonness or debauchery or lasciviousness. And, and this word is translated uh, in so many different ways in the, in the New Testament. And again, it's, it's important to look at various translations to see what these words are. But it has a defined readiness for pleasure, basically, is what it means. This sensuality is, I'm, I'm hot to trot, or she's hot to trot, or, or he's just uh, you know, ready to party. Do whatever it takes. I'm just there. You just name it, and I'm there, and we're done. And I'm, and I'm going to just jump into it as with all that I have to be in this sensuality. It was talked about Queen uh, Jezebel, the queen of the Jewish people that built the temple in Baal of her uh, sensuality. And that's the way, the way she was. The idea is of people who are so bound up in their own desire they, that they have ceased to care what other people think. I can care less what other people think. I don't care what you think. It's my life. I do what I want without even realizing on who they're hurting or what they've hurt. And so the second group of sins, those have to do with sexual immorality or with, with sex. But the second group of sins, specifically idolatry and sorcery, and you're thinking, okay, well, I don't do these things. All right, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, so far I'm okay. And I don't know if you've noticed, but on your outlines, I've left you a little bit of a space. I didn't give you any answers. I, I just want you to take, a, a, take an inventory, take a moral inventory. Maybe you don't want to do that in front of people, but at least take a mental inventory. Take this list home and look it over and try to remember what the definitions are that I have given you and how, they, how they're defined and, and the reason Paul used these very specific words to try to get the message across of living according to the works of the flesh. The next one, of course, is idolatry. Some of you are saying, well, I, I don't make any images. Well, you can scratch me off on that one. Idolatry is anything or anyone that you put above God. 
do you know that there's people that, that I've had to counsel that says, look, you know, my kids come first. I don't care about anything. You know, I, I take them to practice. I do whatever I have to do because they come first. Before my husband, before church, before anything, I will do anything I can to make sure that they are active and in sports and whatever the case may be, they come first. When I point that out and say, you know, when you say that, when you say that, it's kind of like Jesus calling you out to be a disciple. Hey, won't you follow me? And the very first thing that potential disciple says, but first, I don't want to put you first, but first, let me go bury my father. But first, let me take care of business at home. But for all of a sudden, you have something in first place. You've made that an idol, form of worship on what you do and how you raise them up. And fathers, we need to show our children that God is number one in our life. Now, please don't get me wrong. I, I love playing sports with my kids. I you know, made sure that they were in track and football or whatever the case may be. And I like playing with my grandkids. And, and I, I show those, those things. I want them to be involved in sports. But I also want them, but first and foremost, what I want them to know, as with my children, that God is first. And, and I know that some parents wanting to do the right and the best thing for their children sometimes overlook that. You know, I want, and, and, and at the expense of the relationship between the husband and the wife. Idolatry is, yeah, man-made worship. But it's more than just the idols. It's anything we put above God, first and foremost. Idolatry, sorcery. You're saying, okay, finally one I can get away from. Because I, I don't worship the devil. At least I hope you don't. Okay, good. I'm glad nobody said anything. I'm not into witchcraft are some of the translations. But witchcraft is translated from the Greek word pharmakia. Pharmakia is where we get our word pharmacy or pharmaceutical, where we get the words from drugs. See, back then, uh, sorcery or witchcraft or pharmakia, it, it, was, it was all done with mind-altering drugs. To get closer to your deity, to get closer to your God, they would take these drugs or these potions or, or, or try to curse people with these uh, poisons and venoms or you know, just a little bit of a, a little bit of a poison would get you to this certain height of, I guess, nirvana or this state where you can talk to your God. And, and in our culture today, it just seems like drugs seem to be everywhere. Everywhere you, can, you go. And, and to some extent, people say, well, it's for medicinal purposes. That's why I smoke marijuana, for medicinal purposes. You know, there are other ways of getting that medicine. You know, these brownies or these cookies or whatever, these treats, they call them, you know, to be able to, to feel better about myself. Now, how did self get into the picture of God? See, the whole process of Christianity is to get self out of the picture and put Christ in there and be Christ-centered. There, there's all sorts of ways that today where we use, we, we don't even realize it, pharmakia, to feel better, to get connected, to be a part of. And Paul says, stay away from this. You may not call it sorcery. You might just call it, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. It's fun. It's, you know, it's casual. It's not a big deal. It's not something that every, you know, don't, don't, don't get all uptight about. People are doing worse. At least I'm not like that guy. That guy lives in San Bernardino. You're going to compare yourself to him? Come on. At least I'm not like, you know. And so we, we compare ourselves and we say, it's not that bad. 
Paul says, stay away from it. That's part of the works of the flesh. Enmity is hatred. The idea that uh, that of the individual who is hostile all the time to other people. Uh, you know, and it's the exact opposite of the Christian love. And, and, and people just, uh, just get irate and jump on people's cases. I read this story this morning about this man that uh, didn't get cream cheese on his bagel at a Starbucks. So he pulled a gun out on the girl. He got mad. He yelled at her. And, and they, they, they uh, anyways, people do the craziest things. And one lady cut in front of this other guy and somebody shot their kid. Enmity, just this strife among individuals, including bitter conflicts, wrong attitudes, and just, just this burning up inside, which is, we're going to touch a little bit about anger here in just a little bit, but it's that enmity that it wants to make things different. You know, as a matter of fact, that word used to be a pretty good word. It was more like a, uh, like, it's a bitter conflict, but that's how it's used now. At one time, it was used in competitions. I want to strive to do better. I want to strive to, to beat my opponent. I want to strive to get, get the trophy, which it was used in that sense. But used in the negative sense, as Paul is trying to use it here, or he is using it, it is um, enmity. Dis strife is the next word. Variance or discord are, are some of the translations that you'll have. Originally, this word had to do with, with, with the same type of concept. This strife, this, this, this quarreling, this wrangling, and this rivalry of trying to get over on people and causing all this strife to make sure that you got your way. Jealousy. Jealousy was a good word. Zelos. Zelos is the Greek word, and it was a good word at first. And it meant to copy or to emulate or to see somebody that you liked. And, and maybe you had a, a role model that, I want to be like him. I have this zeal to, to be like this person in spirit and in what he does and how he works and, and how he uh, interacts with people. He has this good nature about him. And of course, like everything else, it became something bitter and angry and uh, it, was, it degenerated to mean the desire to have what other people have. Not only do you want to be like them, but you want everything that they have. And so that's where we get our term now of jealous or having this jealousy for somebody. It's a form of anger and hatred and resentment caused by the last commandment in the Bible to covet your neighbor's goods, your neighbor's wife, what belongs to somebody else. And you're jealous about that. Fits of anger, which is the next term, uh, which is fits of rage or uncontrolled temper. And I see this in a lot of men. And they just, you know, and, and I understand why. Most of us are, are, are those type of people that are can-do type of people. We fix whatever's broken, right? If it's broke, I fix it. And if I can't fix it, I kick it, right? Or, or I throw it out the window or I beat it up. Or, and, and so if, if I can't accomplish that task, sometimes those fits of anger come out. You know, and I find this very often in uh, especially uh, men that are taking care of their, their, either children or their spouses, people that, are, that they've been caring for, uh, and that, that is part of their, and all of a sudden there's an illness that comes in, and you've done everything you can to, to make them comfortable. You've, you've accommodated the, them with everything, with the bed, with the chair, with uh, making sure that everything is, is compliant and you got a wheelchair ramp and all kinds. You do everything you can to make sure that they're comfortable, but at the end of the day, you know you did not fix it. You cannot fix their problem. And, and unless you're walking in the Spirit, that old nature comes up and that bitterness and that those fits of rage and things just start to happen. And it's the sin that is 
part of the attitude and the motive as to why we do things. Rivalries, strife, seeking, self-seeking, selfish ambitions. This word was a, was a very illuminating, uh, I mean, it's a very illuminating word. It, 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 does, um, it comes to us for things that were done by pain. Rivalries, you would do things to, to be able to get paid for them. And so you would work hard to try to get other people to you know, take their jobs in a sense. And, and it, sometimes it was in, in a political sense as far as canvassing for public office or, or trying to win votes. And again, you know, it, it's something that you're doing, something that you have to work at. Every one of these are things that you have to work at. To work at, to try to get ahead or get yourself to the point where, where nobody else can touch you. And, and these things in themselves are good, but when used against the spirit or when used when working in the flesh, it produces some ugly, self-seeking, selfish ambition, strife and anger amongst you and everyone else around you. Dissension literally means a standing apart. Instead of having this band of brothers where you come together and you try to work things out as a whole, as a community, as a city, as a state, as, as a political party, and, and all these things, you know, let's, let's all get together and let's just do good. And instead, like for instance, as we see here today, it's described in our society today where political parties are against each other. Now, I don't know what side of the aisle you're on, left or right, but I, I read this in the Gospel according to Facebook, and it said this. The Indian chief said, you know, did you know that the left wing and the right wing are the same wings of the same bird? They're all going in the same direction. When you think about this, politics and government, God has established them for our good. But our politics and our government has gone in a whole different direction. This is why government cannot save you. Government cannot legislate any of this. Government cannot give us the rules and the laws that we need to be able to squash all these things. You have to work and walk by the Spirit. That's what we need to do. You know, there are a lot of social programs out there that are great programs, but that is not going to help our people, humanity. There are a lot of programs and a lot of just so many things that are out there that can help us. Social issues that, that, that are going against each other now. Class warfare that are going against each other. These, all of these, they're, they're not a band of brothers. They're, they're designed to divide and to cause this dissension within the people. And, you know, I mean, you probably know as well as I do, the more dissension, the more division, the more power the government gets. Well, we need to do this. We need to do that. We, we need to get this off the books. We need to put this in the books. Beloved, we focus on the Holy Spirit. We walk with the Holy Spirit. And wherever it is that the Lord leads you in that, you work with that. But when it's causing dissension, when it's causing divisions, as the next word is, it's, it's clearly focused disagreement. Divisions is just, you know, I'm just, I disagree with everything. I disagree with everything that they believe and they say. And, and it's a word that, that is used uh, of teachers that would divide their classes against each other and pit each other against each other. And so what's happened here is if you look at this, this is a lot of what's going on. And envy, envy, excuse me, envy, envy is the word that's probably one of the most meanest words that has ever been used. Envy is not this jealousy or this covetedness that you want what they have. This word envy is more that what they have, you want to take it away from them. And you would wish everything that they had would be lost so that they couldn't enjoy their goods. And so we destroy and we kill and we steal to try to bring 
them down. And it's not that I want it. And even if I were to get it from them, I would probably destroy it. And the last two is drunkenness and orgies. Drunkenness was basically frowned upon, not only in the Roman world, and not only in the Greek world, but also in the Christian world. They would say, I mean, yeah, we have wine. Well, wine they drank more wine back then than they did milk, but the wine was diluted. Even children drank the wine. It was a two to, two to one, or three to one. One third and uh, two parts water. And it was, it was uh, sweetened, and it was, it was good, and that's what they used. And they used it for medicinal purposes. I mean, but you would not find a person uh, being drunk all the time. And if you did, they always looked at them as, you know, this is just a vulgar animal. Cannot contain himself. And so wine and, and liquor and drinks, and, and I know there are a lot of Christians that say, you know, it's okay to drink. And, and, you know, so, you know, and the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't, as a matter of fact. You can make a good argument for it. Yeah, I can have a beer or a wine or a glass of wine or whatever every once in a while. But the point Paul is saying here is he's saying, do not get drunk on wine. Because it makes an animal out of you. And some of you, well, I'm going to stop there. Some of you know people like that, right? That's what I was going to say. Some of you know people like that. Yeah, the orgies. Orgies is not actually the word that you're thinking of, of these sexual parties that are, having, that are taking place nowadays. Or, I mean, they do include that. But originally, the word orgy, or komos, was the word that was used to celebrate the person that won. You know, when, when we celebrate together, when your favorite football team or your baseball team wins, and you get together, and, and all of a sudden, everybody's just partying, and just, yeah, and things start breaking, and that kind of stuff. Where you would get together with your teammate, whether it was one person that won, and you would celebrate with him to the uttermost parts of your morality. And you would take it to a limit. And that seems to be happening a lot in our life today. When we get down to the root meaning of all these words, we come to realize that, you know what, life hasn't changed much at all, has it? Some of this stuff even goes on today. But the point, the high point that Paul's trying to say here, he says this, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, I guess I'm not saved because, you know, I, I know I've done these things. Sometimes I even kind of practice these things. I celebrate with my friends, maybe not to that extent. I, you know, where does that come from? Well, look at your, look at your notes here in Mark chapter 7. Look at, this is what Jesus says. You, you know, he, he makes it clear that man's basic problem is not from without. It's not the government. It's not the people. It's not everybody outside. It's not my parents. It's not my dad that raised me up wrong or abused me or whatever the case may be. It's not that. It's within the heart. Many times we blame Satan for everything. You know, it's, it's amazing and how when things are happening in a person's life, in a believer's life, and the, the very first words that come out of his mouth are, Satan, I rebuke you. Or, Satan is attacking me. Come on, Geraldine. Okay, I'm glad you guys don't know what that is. Anyways, it's, it's, we automatically give Satan all the credit. And a lot of times, Jesus says in verse 20 to 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. Now look at this very carefully. 
I, under, I underlined the most important parts there. He says it four times. Out of a person, from within, out of the heart of man, come from within you. That's where those things come from. They come from the heart. We have a problem. You don't have to ask Jesus to come into your heart. You don't have to try to feel good about today's service. You cannot try to do good. You need a new heart. And basically, in these, this category of sins that Paul had talked to, the people in Galatians, Jesus Christ reiterates that Jesus taught Paul. And, and then he tells the people in 1 Corinthians, look at this. Look at this. And here's where we're going to stop. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual or moral, nor idolater, nor adulterer, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. Such were, were some of you. Such were some of you. Paul says, you used to be like that. You know the, 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 what's going on. Stop working in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. People say, but I was born this way. Yeah, that's why you need to be reborn. You need to be reborn again because the way you were born is broken. You got to get out of that. And now that you're walking in the spirit, such were some of you. To go back to that vomit, to go back to that attitude, to go back to that heart is just a slap in the face of God. To think that, you know, he knows, he understands, he knows I'm a work in progress is just pretty much saying you're not genuinely saved if you're going to continue. And see, that's the, per that's the one point that, that Paul tries to make. Those who do, and it's a continuous verb, those who are continually doing these things, you know, as I confessed a little, a little while ago, it happens. I do. I mess up. But that's not something that I continuously do. I go back and I reevaluate and I try to find what it is that caused me to say or do that thing. And I, you know what? I don't want to do that again. Because I don't want to continuously do these things. And you mark that off and you keep going, okay, I, I, I got to mark that one off. You see, as, as men, as fathers, we need to teach our children. Not just by what I say, but I have to walk in the spirit. If I want my child to walk in my footsteps, I've got to set a good example. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, well, I'm not a dad, so whew. no, this goes to you as well. This is a message for all of us. And these words are harsh. And it's interesting because um, this is not an all-inclusive list. It's, it's something that he says that do such things that are, are, are things that you do, the things that are continually doing. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right before that, when he says uh, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. In other words, if yours isn't on this list, oh, it's on that list. You can fill it in. And you're waiting. Okay, I didn't. All right, he didn't say mine. Good. You're waiting. He didn't say mine. It's on there. We are 
sinful people, wretched men. But thanks be to God that he sent Jesus Christ. If you have understood that you are a sinful person, and you understand that there's nothing that's going to save you except Christ. And you understand that some of these things you may have been doing. And you have felt no, no guilt. And now you start to realize, you know, there needs to be a change. I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to command you to repent and believe. That's a command. The gospel is not a suggestion. The gospel is not something that you repeat after me, say this prayer. That's not how you repent. You repent by noticing and recognizing, that's me. Repent, turn away from it, and believe what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's paid the price for you. Yesterday I was talking to this young man. He says, you know, I, sometimes I do this and sometimes I, you know, there's some things that, I, God, I can't believe that. And I talked to my pastor about that. And, and you know what he told me? I says, he says, what, well, next time you say that, God, I don't believe that that's what you want me to do, then just call God a liar. He goes, what? That's what you're saying. Just call God a liar. Just tell him that he's lying. Well, I can't do that. Well, that's what you just said. If you cannot believe what the Bible says about you, then call God a liar. But I know you do believe this. I know you understand this. That's why you must repent. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, we have so much to be thankful for. In spite of my sin, in spite of my wretchedness, in spite of all that I've ever said and done and I'm going to do, you still love me. You sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. When I couldn't save myself, you sent Jesus Christ to die for me. And Jesus, you paid that penalty. You uh, paid that appeasement. You appeased our God with his wrath and anger that he has towards sinful man. And you, you were able to substitute me for you and you for me. And now I have been given your righteousness as you have taken my sin. And Lord, every time I look over this list, it breaks my heart. And I know that I can do better. I know that if I just walk by the Spirit, I will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. This desire to gratify, this desire to, to feel good about my sin is a constant battle. And it is, it has been a lot of work, tiring to some extent. I pray, Father, that today each one of us, we can come to a point where we recognize our sinfulness and that we repent and believe what you said. And so, Lord, today is, is going to be a new day for many fathers. It's going to be a new day for a lot of people as we go from this place forward. Now the word has been given and your direction and command has been proclaimed. Now it's up to each one of us to follow through in what you said. Holy Spirit, I pray that you give us the power, the same power to constantly walk in you. We know what the the fruit of the Spirit is. We know what your fruit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We know that the law has nothing over that. So Lord, as we dive into those nine characteristics of your Spirit, 
I pray that you give us a peace about who you are and what you've done on the cross for us. Thank you once again, we pray, as we celebrate this day to honor our fathers, to honor you, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. amen. amen.